Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hope at crossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And now, here's this week's message. Amen. You can give the Lord a bigger clap than that, I think. There you go. Pretend like Clemson just scored a touchdown. Uh, so not a lot of clapping for that. Okay, okay. Yeah, wrong team. Wrong, that's right. That's right, Belinda. Wrong team. If you've got your Bible, if you would open up to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 3 this morning, actually chapter 3, while you're turning there, uh, so grateful for um, really the last minute, uh, Hannah and Matt jumping in here uh, to help us for the next couple of weeks, they'll be here, I hope you'll express your thanks to them, and uh, I, I, I think they've done a tremendous job as have our own home team working together in a short amount of time. Uh, if any, you know anything about music, man, to put all that together in a short amount of time, that is tremendous. And I want to encourage you, uh, some of you I know maybe you're fearful, you're thinking we're, we're, getting, we're going Pentecostal. Maybe we need to sometimes. It's all right to lift your hands. I think I've said this before in my uh, three and a half years here, lifting your hands is a sign of surrender. We should walk around spiritually that way, with a sign of surrender, and uh, hopefully we're doing that in our, in our hearts uh, at any rate. Whether we physically do it or not, we're doing that in our hearts. So let's look, at, let's look at Jonah. This is probably my favorite chapter in the book of Jonah, because uh, the story shifts a little bit and changes. And if you've been keeping track uh, through the wonderful... Uh, art that uh, Jared Simpson has done for us. Uh, h- how many of you, sorry, I have ADD as you know, I'm already thinking, how many of you remember the felt board? Anybody that old that you remember? Hallelujah. Thank you, my friends are here this morning. Wonderful. And you would just move the little figures across. Some of you are looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay, that's okay. This is better than that. This is better than that. But if you've been kind of tracking on the drawings up here, you know that there was a storm that was sent by God and Jonah was cast overboard, and this big fish comes just the right time and gulps him up and then vomits him out, and he has to go about 300-plus miles uh, on his journey to Nineveh, and that is where we pick up the story as he has been vomited out on the dry land. Chapter 3, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. It was not great, by the way, in that it honored God and it was not great in those respects. What Jonah is saying here is it was great in its, in its expanse, the size of it, and three days walk, meaning it took three days to walk around this huge metropolitan, if you will, city. 
Verse 4, Jonah began to go through the city after one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. And he issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish. And when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. What an incredible story of redemption. And there's three things I want to share with you very quickly this morning that we learn about God from this story in Jonah chapter 3. And the first one is this, it's in the very first verse, Jonah tells us this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The first thing I want to encourage you with, church, today is God is a God of second chances. Aren't you grateful? And third, and fourth, and fifth, and sixth, and if you're me, 100th, and 200th, and 300th, God is a God of second chances. You may find yourself here today feeling like you're guilty feeling like you're unworthy, maybe even feeling like you're condemned. I think I've said this before too. We often quote John 3.16, which is a great verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his own and one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But John 3.17 is just as important. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so if you feel condemnation about anything, I just want to tell you, that is not God. God does not condemn us. The Holy Spirit convicts us, which draws us closer to God. Condemnation is from the enemy, which pushes us away from God. And so Jonah is celebrating here. He has a second chance. It just goes to show the amazing love of God toward his people. So here's my question for you this morning. Can you thank God for a second chance? Or third or fourth or fifth? How many chances have you had over different issues and situations in your life where God just said, okay, I'm going to give you one more shot. You didn't do what I told you to last time. I'm going to give you one more shot. One more shot. One more shot. It's an interesting thing that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah this second time and gives him yet another opportunity. Jonah, as you know, didn't want uh, God to reach the Ninevites. That was not what he wanted. That's why he rebelled and went in the opposite direction. He did not want the Ninevites to have the knowledge of God. Which brings another question that I wrote down. As you know by now, I write myself questions in my, in my notes. I'm all about me getting second chances. Sometimes I don't like it when other people get second chances. Are you that way? Say, preacher, did you say that about yourself? Don't look at me holier now. You're the same way. There's sometimes we put people in a box, maybe they've made this mistake or this sin in their past, and then all of a sudden we have put them in that box and we never will give them a second shot. I've heard about some of those, even in my time here being at Crossroads, about certain people who 
used to be here. Maybe they won't come back or they don't feel the welcome to come back because maybe, I don't know, hopefully, I don't think that's the case because our church is pretty loving. But I hope that their, their excuse of not coming back is that they feel like they won't be given a second shot because Jesus Christ gave every one of us in here a second shot. Now, I'm, I'm not saying you just go crazy and don't use your wisdom. Some people have been given, you say, well, Pastor, if somebody does me wrong, I'm just supposed to let them do me wrong over and over and over again. I, use your logic and common sense. But I'm saying when it comes to ostracizing them or condemning them because they've messed up in life, we need to give them the same grace that we like and that we enjoy. And sometimes, maybe it's that we are not as willing to give somebody else a second chance as Jesus was to give us a second chance. Jonah is grateful he had this second chance and God freely gave it to him and God also wants us to do the same thing. The great preacher Spurgeon said it this way. I love this. It's a long quote, but I, I, I've got to share it with you because it's so good. It says, God is often committed to doing things through individual people. That's you. Not just the preacher. That's you. That's you and me. He said this, suppose that the problem had been given to us to solve instead of Jonah. How might the city be moved to repent? How shall its vice be forsaken and the God of Israel be worshipped? If we had not been paralyzed with despair, which is the most probable, we should nevertheless probably sit down to consider our plans. Maybe we parcel it out. Maybe we divide it to other people. Maybe we figure out the expenses that would be incurred. We think about the being contemplating the erection of all these structures that it would take to share the word of God, our machinery would become cumbrous. And we find, unless we had the full resources of an empire, maybe we would not even have begun the work. But, what did the Lord say about this? Putting aside all judgment and reason and plans and schemes, he raised up one man and called him to go obey and do what he told him to do. God is a God of second chances. Aren't you grateful? The second thing I see here, it's very interesting. The first time when, when God calls out Jonah to go to Nineveh, he gives him some specific instructions. If you want to flip back to Jonah chapter 1, he gives him some instructions. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, verse 2, chapter 1, and cry against the city, for their wickedness has come before me. But now in this second opportunity that he gives Jonah the opportunity to go out and the God of second chances to give him a second shot, he doesn't quite say the same thing, does he? The word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, proclaim to it the proclamation I'm going to tell you. Doesn't that just chap your hide? Doesn't that just upset you, frustrate you? Don't you love it when people do you that way? I got to tell you something, but I'll tell you later. Oh, I need to tell you something, but I'll tell you later. So they don't tell you everything. Or I'll tell you when you do this, or I'll tell you when you do that. The Lord gives him just a little bit of the instruction, which the second thing I noticed from this passage of Scripture that we can learn about God, sometimes God only shares a little bit at a time. I don't know about you, but that frustrates me. Oh, I don't like that. God, just tell me the whole picture. And God knows me well enough to know because he created me and he knows you well enough to know because he created you. God knows if he told me the full picture now, I would say, adios, I'll meet you there. And I would take off on my own path thinking that I know the shortcut. 
and I would miss all the trials and tribulations and afflictions that God has prepared for me so that my faith will get stronger and I will have endurance and strength. And when the testing of my faith happens, I will get stronger and my faith will grow and I would eliminate all that. Because I want it to happen quickly. And God only shared a little bit of instruction with Jonah this time. A lot of times the Lord works that way. And I don't know about you, but it's very irritating sometimes to me. I said a few weeks ago, maybe I think it was last week, I heard that some of you kind of rubbed you the wrong way. That God doesn't give us more than we can handle is kind of one of those catchphrases in our world. You would, you would think the opposite of that is true when you read the story of Jonah. God always gives us more than we can handle. He just sometimes dispenses it at the speed at which we can receive it. Sometimes he decides just to turn on the, the uh, fire hydrant and engulf us in it and just say, hang on for the ride. And sometimes because of his grace and mercy, he dispenses a little bit. So he's already tried the fire hydrant method with Jonah and that didn't work. Because Jonah went in the opposite direction. So now the God is saying, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit, one step at a time. And see, really, the way God does that is totally dependent upon the way he wants to do it. Because he's God. He can decide to throw it all at us at one time, or he can dispense it out a little bit of a time. And I don't know about you, but my journey of faith, a lot of times, it is one step at a time so that I'll run ahead. David the psalmist said it this way. He said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Not a lamp down the road a couple of miles from me to see. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet so that as I see, I will walk. And as I see the next step, I will walk. And as I see the next step, I will walk. That is how we build our faith and our trust in God. But sometimes God only shares a little bit with us. So Jonah listens to those instructions. And he arises and he goes to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He's heard about this and he goes out to this great city. And he starts walking through the streets. Here's a great assignment. Wouldn't you love to do this through five forks? And just start walking through the streets and crying out, 40 days and you're going to be overthrown. 40 days. Do we have anybody signed up? We're going to do that after worship today. Anybody? Can you imagine? Here he is going through the streets, basically... Almost a comparison of what John the Baptist did for Jesus. He's a foreshadow. He's going out in the streets basically saying, repent or you're going to be overthrown. Not a great way, maybe for modern day evangelism, I don't know. But he goes out into the streets and this word overthrown, by the way, is a very important word. It's actually the same word used in Genesis chapter 19. Anybody know what happened in Genesis chapter 19? Sodom and Gomorrah, that's right. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, it's the same word there, overthrown. So God is serious. He's not playing games when he tells Jonah, go out into the streets and cry 40 days and overthrown. Tell these people to repent. He is serious. He's using a very powerful word there. And we see that Jonah preached this message with earnestness. He goes out into the streets and he begins to cry out to the people. We don't know how long. And there's a lot of questions I have when I read scripture. We don't know how long, how many minutes, how many hours he may have cried out. We don't know the whole context of the sermon. The only part of the sermon that we have recorded here is he said, yet 40 days and Nineveh would be overthrown. And what happened as a result of that short sermon is the third thing that we see. God starts to respond because what happens? The people repent. The people believe. Verse 5 says, the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they called a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. 
And as the people believed, finally it got up to the king of Nineveh and the word reached the king and he arose from his throne and obviously he believed because he laid aside his robe and covered himself with sackcloth. And then in turn, he actually issues a decree and tells everybody what we're going to do. Man and beast are going to be covered with sackcloth. We're going to turn from our wicked ways. There's so many sermons just in those few verses I wish we had time. Some of us are waiting on the king some elected official to turn the tide for our country. Newsflash, not going to happen. The people's repentance here, the people turning to God in this story in Nineveh, actually got all the way up to the king and caused the king to change his mind. We're waiting on somebody higher than us in some position of leadership to do something, and yet God, the creator of the world, is looking at the church going, that's what I called you to do. If you want to turn the tide of the cities, then you get your heart right before God. And eventually, when you get your heart right before God, all of a sudden the leaders will go, what is going on here? And the leaders may turn back to God. People started responding. The response of the people was incredible. What was their response? It's a biblical word. It's, we've been talking about it for a few weeks. Repentance. You don't see that word in the text, but you know that that's what they did because they did a couple of things. First of all, they believed. And the second thing is, there was some response to their belief. They began to do things. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth. And then again, the knowledge of this trickled up to the king. And the people of Nineveh began to see this movement of God. And I know some of us have been watching things on social media and hearing in the news even. The national news has caught in wind of the revivals that are, seem to be happening on college campuses. And there's some people who want to be pharisaical about that and say, well, how do we really know that's revival? How do we really know that's revival? How do we know it's repentance? Repentance always leads to action. That's how you know. You can't sit and say, I repent and stay the same and not change and not have some action take place. And so far, in most of what I've seen on social media and friends that I've personally talked to that have been to some of these colleges and universities, it's my estimation there is revival happening. Now, how long will it go until the cold water committee shows up to pour it out? We'll see. Because there's a fraction of a religious community that would love to say, well, that's not legit, and just pour cold water on there. Repentance. These people begin to believe what... Jonah was saying to them, repentance means doing something. What did the people do? The people not, not only believed, not only put on sackcloth, but they started fasting. We don't talk about that a lot in North American church. We don't talk about that a lot in Baptist life. Pray for me because I am praying and wondering if God might be calling our church during this season of transition for some of us to go on a fast. Do we really want to see the move of God? Or are we just happy with everything as it is? Because your pastor here is not happy with everything as it is. I'm not saying things as they are right now are bad. I'm saying I want more. I want more of God. I want to see more people's lives changed. I want to see more marriages restored. I want to see more of our young people on fire to go overseas and to impact the nations for the gospel. How else is the world going to change? It's not going to change by us doing the same thing. We've tried that. It's called the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And that's what the people in Nineveh were doing. And God gave them a wake-up call through this man named Jonah. When repentance comes, 
something has to change. And here's the good news about repentance, by the way. I don't know if you realize this or not. I was reminded of it this week as I was reading this. Repentance moves the hand of God. Look at all the scriptures. Go back and look through all the Old Testament and the New Testament. Repentance, sacrifice moves the hand of God. I think about Abram, what he was about to do with his, only, his son Isaac. And all of a sudden God provided. It was an it amazing feat of faith, the demonstration of his faith. Think about all the Old Testament heroes. You think about Noah, Moses, all these people who were crying out on behalf of their people. And every time without fail, when the people actually repented, God's hand relented. Now, sometimes it relented and he waited for a season because people are people, right? And after they would be obedient for a little while, what happened? Uh, They turned their back on God again. Which is why I'm glad God is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, umpteenth chances. So what happens as these people go through this? Jonah cries out and he says in verse 9, Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so we shall not perish. And Here's what happened. When God saw their deeds, verse 10, they, turned from, they had turned from their wicked way. God relented concerning this calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Church family, let me just say to us, it shocks me. That the creator, the God of all creation, if I was God and you're glad that I'm not, I would just basically grab the earth and crush it and just say, I am sick and tired of this. You look at what's going on in our world. All kinds of human misinterpretation of sexuality. You think about what our young people are going through, and our college students are going through after two years of a worldwide pandemic, suicide, the number two leading cause of death for young people, all the way from 10 to 24 years of age. You know these things, I hope. I hope your head's not buried in the sand. The the devil is wreaking havoc on our world, seems to be having a heyday, and meanwhile, my question to us is, where is the church? Because according to Scripture, we're the only thing that's going to turn the tide. We are the only thing that's going to get God to relent as we cry out on behalf of people and ask the Lord, please, please, don't do this incredible thing. Don't let your anger burn against us. You can easily look at Sodom and Gomorrah and think, wow, if God was that angry then to do that, how much more angry must he be about some of the crazy things that are happening in our world right now? Older adults, we need to be praying for the young adults in this room who have children. If you think you don't have a role for us over 50 crowd, let me tell you what your role is if you don't think you have one. It's to pray. Pray, 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 pray. Because our young people are under attack. From the earliest ages of three, four, five years old, I'm hearing what's happening in some places out there. It's very scary. Praise God. We have a weekday program that is teaching young kids what it means to know Jesus. My gut is, forgive me, this is not thus saith the Lord. This is not 
The pastor threw out this idea during the service, and we're actually in the midst of getting ready to build a building. Is he crazy? That's not what I'm saying. But could it be? I'm just going to be honest and tell you what the Lord, I feel like he's saying to me. Could it be? It's great that we have what we have for the weekday. But what happens after they get to elementary school and middle school and high school? And Lynette and I had our kids in private school, home school, public school, every which way, trying to gird them up in the admonition and the fear of the Lord. Not everybody can do or afford to do what we did with our kids. And when we finally did send them to public school in Malden, when they were 8th and 10th grade, the classes that they walked into and the teachers who were shoving stuff down their throat, we said, no way, Jose, not going to happen on my watch. Not that they couldn't go to those places and not that your students can't go to those places, your son and daughter, and try to be a light in the darkness. You can't. Maybe. But we may be far beyond that, in my opinion. We may have already relinquished those schools to the enemy and we have people in authority who are shoving that junk down our kids' throats. That's not in my notes. I don't know what we're supposed to do about it, church. I know what we can do about it. We can pray about it. Maybe God would cause us to do more. And prayer that we see from the scripture, when we pray and when we, when we repent, we see what happens. And what the people did in Nineveh, God, praise the Lord, in this story and so many other stories, he relented. And maybe you find yourself here this morning and you're going, Pastor Jack, if you only knew my story, if you only knew how dark and dirty and all the junk going on in my life and all the junk presently going on in my life, you probably would just not even allow me in the room, dear friend. If you knew who I was without Jesus, you'd probably fire me for being up here on the stage right now. We all have a shady past that, praise God, is covered by the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you're saying, wow, you know what? I'm, I'm just going through some stuff. There's some things in my life I need to get rid of. Here's some good news. When you repent... When you turn from your wicked ways, God hears. He relents. And here's the good news. When you fully put your faith and trust in God, He not only relents from the punishment that you deserve for all that stuff that you did, He takes the punishment upon Himself and says, you don't ever have to worry about my wrath. Or my anger. Because all your past and all your filthiness and all your sin is covered under the blood of Jesus because of what I did on the cross. So you can relax. I'm not coming after you with my anger or my wrath. I'm a child of God. You are who I say I am. I'm a child of God. Are you a child of God this morning? If you're not, it's really simple. We complicate it. Even in church, we complicate it. It's so simple. You just cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I have made mistakes. But I know you lived a perfect life. And because of your sacrifice on the cross, I just, I need that. I need that relationship with you. This is not religion, by the way. Religion will kill you every time. Every day of the week, twice on Sunday, religion will kill you. But a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ, that's what I need. And that's what you need. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for today. 
we worship you this morning. We thank you that you have relented from your wrath upon us. Why have you relented? Because for those of us that know you, Jesus, for those of us who call upon the name of the Lord, we can be saved from that wrath of God. We can be free from the worry and concern that an angry God's going to kind of strike us down. Some of us have that conception that that's you. That's not you. You're a loving Heavenly Father. For those of us that know you, you, you desire us to have a relationship with you. Would you speak to our hearts right now? Church family, I'm going to ask you if you would just to, just to pray. Maybe this morning your prayer is simply to thank God for all the chances, second, third, fourth chances He's given you. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus personally. You might know about Him, but you don't know Him personally. If that's you this morning and you'd like to call upon the name of the Lord and just say, I, I need that Savior. I do not want to endure the wrath of God. And that ultimate wrath, by the way, is separation forever from God. In a place called hell, when you physically leave this earth and go to the next place. But this morning you're here, whether you've been here for months or years, or maybe you're visiting today, and you just say, Pastor Jack, I, I, I need Jesus Christ in my life. If that's you this morning... Just so nobody looking around, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I just want to pray for you this morning. If you just say, Pastor Jack, as you pray this morning, pray for me. I need Jesus. Anybody this morning just say, that's me. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our church family. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in my life, the way that you're speaking to me. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, God, for the second, third, 200th, 1,000th, 10,000th chance that you have given me sometimes when I'm so stubborn. Thank you that the grace of Jesus is what I need. I pray you'd have your way during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask my friend Heath to come join me. We're going to sing a song we sung just a moment ago. Maybe it's your response to God as he's given you multiple chances to praise his name. Maybe this morning you just want to come and kneel and thank God for those chances. Maybe this morning you need to come to know Jesus. If you do and you want to talk to someone, my friend Heath will be here. I'll be here. I'd love to pray with you and encourage you. Don't walk out that door this morning without knowing you're free from the wrath of God because he loves you. He didn't just say he loved you. He proved it by giving his most precious gift. Would you stand and let's sing together as Matt and the team lead us this morning. Let's sing. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. 
If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.